0: This is Ward Ewing. I'm an ordained Episcopal minister, served as the chair of the General Service Board and now a trustee emeritus, and I recently published 12 Steps to Religion of Spirituality, The Power of Spirituality and Without God, and we're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio.
1: Welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio. Who, since 2011, 10 years, a temporary look at recovery life, including 12-step fellowship, always with less dogma and more life. As we transition from 2021 to 2022, we're in the third decade of the 21st century, according to the Christian calendar, if that's what you go by. So what's ahead and how did we get here? My guest today has been with AA for Well, over the last decade, much longer, Ward B. Ewing is a non-alcoholic Class A AA trustee. He was one of seven non-alcoholic trustees that along with 14 alcoholic trustees make up the AA General Service Board. In 2009, he was elected to a four-year term as chair sitting at the very bottom of our inverted triangle in the service of Alcoholics Anonymous. Each chair rotates out after four years, thus he is now a trustee emeritus. Non-alcoholics hold a unique role in AA. They can be the face of Alcoholics Anonymous, for media anyway. There is no cloak of anonymity imposed on our non-alcoholic trustees. They also offer expertise, experience, and advice that our non-professional peer-to-peer fellowship benefits from. Sometimes this expertise is in the area of communication or medicine, employee assistance, legal or finance. Ward B. Ewing is an Episcopalian minister. He was president and dean of the General Theological Seminary in New York City when he was asked to consider serving as an AA trustee, Class A, non-alcoholic. And just like their AA member peers, the 14 alcoholic trustees, uh, they're paid nothing for their time. They work with us and for us for their own love and respect for we AAs. Ward Ewing has a new book, I Like It. It reflects on and addresses some of the struggles 12-step communities and our larger community as a whole face. Ward looks at the growing appetite for spiritual values without religious dogma. He draws on what he's learned in ministry and his time with AA. It was very controversial, you know, that Ward Ewing was asked to be one of our speakers at We Agnostics and Freethinkers International AA Convention in Santa Monica in 2021. Uh, This is what has now become ICSA, the International Conference of Secular AA. The ICSA conference at the time of recording is poised to meet again on Zoom December 11th. So when Ward spoke at our first gathering, there was some Objection or consternation, perhaps, from the more Puritan corners of AA, not sure that secular AA was even AA at all. And why would he, our chair of the General Service Board, be speaking to us? And to some atheists and free thinkers in AA, some of us reject the popular intervening supernatural power. Some of us go further with our separation from the norms by letting go of uh, the 12 steps or sponsorship or some of AA's literature, any of the formalities that lend themselves to a dogmatic approach to practicing AA. So some in the secular community, they wondered, Having Ward speaking at our conference, was this sucking up to AA as a whole or seeking GSO's approval? Well, if it were, I'd be against that, but it wasn't. It's not a stretch to see how this could be controversial, however. Um, AA is controversial, secular AA is very controversial. Why wouldn't our conference be? Secular AA isn't just controversial, it's also a legitimate and equal part of AA as a whole. It's recognized as such by the AA General Service Office, in our traditions, uh, in our Quintennial AA World Convention, which next meets in Vancouver, Canada in 2025. It will include a We Agnostics panel, which they've done since 1990, and for the first time ever, we were going to do this in Detroit in 2020, but that had to be canceled because of the pandemic. In 2025 in Vancouver, there will be a secular AA hospitality suite uh, for all of AA to come, have a coffee, and chat with us. But anyway, 2025 is getting ahead of myself here. Let's get right to my chat with Ward Ewing about his life in AA his views and definition of what spirituality means to him, and his concerns about potential rigidity in AA. Ward, uh, let's uh, share with people a little bit about how we know each other. So before we talk about your book, I just would like you to share a little bit about your experience with Alcoholics Anonymous and your uh, timing there, because you were involved in a number of projects that you took a, a courageous position of, of expressing a view on, and of course, people line up pretty quick on one side or the other of any AA issue, and so you had people uh, slinging arrows from both ends at times. My life with AA began in 1975.
0: Started going to open meetings in order to learn about alcoholism because it was affecting members of my congregation and I didn't know anything. In fact, I had been a pretty good enabler up until that time um, because I like to help people. (laughs) Eventually I was elected to the board of trustees of the general service board in 2003. uh, And then in 2009, elected chair of the board and was chair for four years until I rotated out. And it's during that time that you and I met uh it was uh a couple of forums and, and a wonderful time in Sedona. It was an interesting time with the fellowship. Uh I was probably best known as the the clergyman who didn't like the Lord's Prayer in open AA meetings because I feel like when people come in, they don't need to be hearing a lot of any God talk. They need to be hearing that there's hope and they don't need to get it confused that they have to have beliefs that they don't have. And we know stories of people who have come to come to AA, been turned off by the God talk, left, and then came back because there was no place else to go. But we don't know the stories of those who came left and never came back, except that we can assume that they died. It's just, we just can't have that. That violated an awful lot of groups' practice. So I affirmed that, of course, I understand that each group is autonomous and it's going to do what it wants to do that's that's okay that's fundamental um others embrace that and we're thankful that I was saying it out loud yeah uh, we also at, during that uh while I was chair developed a pamphlet that was to include voices from multiple faiths and atheists and agnostics the pamphlet didn't quite live up to my expectations but the title Many paths to spirituality I particularly dislike because the function of AA is not to give people spirituality, it's to help people get sober.
1: Uh, and even the artwork, it, it's called many yeah. paths, but every arrow points up. Right, right. Well, that, you know, that's another
0: sort of thing that I'm not fond of is even the term higher power. Yeah. Uh, the literature, of course, doesn't use that term. I'm not quite sure how that evolved because it's a power greater than ourselves, yeah, which doesn't feel hierarchical and right. doesn't feel like it's somehow up in heaven or someplace above us, but it's a power greater than ourselves that, by the way, is right there in the group. Well, that's an aside. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we did get the pamphlet and it's less than perfect. I like the God Talk pamphlet from England
1: a little better. Now, when you were originally doing the pamphlet that was going to be stories, Right. Uh, was it all variations of people's own spirituality, or was it specifically leaning towards non-traditional views, like people it who was, don't have was, an anthropomorphic it, it in, yeah. idea of a higher power? Right. It was intentionally
0: toward the non-traditional. Uh, but the stories that came in and the committee that that worked it, and and we had. Two or three different editions before the the one we had was finally approved by conference, mm-hmm. um, and at that point I wasn't going to fight the title because I all we needed to do was send it back one more time.
1: <laughs> the the people who came up with the idea of the God Word agnostics and atheists and AA they didn't like the title either because if it's directed at people who don't believe in God. You know the Even biggest the God being the God word. It, it they're not going to pick it up. It's not going to serve the target it's designed for. It was just right. it was pulled out of the uh, out of the pamphlet. It was one of the titles of one of the sub stories. Right. 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 And right. so it was innocent. In AA, I suppose if everything goes right, nobody's a hundred percent happy.
0: I think that's. I think that's right. And and AA is acknowledges being a self-correcting institution. Yeah. And and I think that's really fundamental to the fact that we can come together and
1: finally get somewhere where everybody's not happy. Yeah. Uh but it can move on. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets their say, not everyone gets their way. And right. So,
0: I think I've heard that somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that uh, is amazing that the UK, in one attempt, you know, hey, we could really use an agnostic atheist pamphlet. Okay, gather some stories. Okay, we'll put them together. Okay, here it is. One conference. Right. Available. Why do you think that is? Uh, Well,
0: uh, there was a wonderful story the Archbishop of Canterbury told that he was talking with the primate of the Russian Orthodox Church. And the Russian Orthodox primate was complaining that because of communism, their church attendance was down to about 20% of what it once was. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said that's nothing because of a state endorsement and support. Ours is down to 2%. (laughs) 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 Uh, Christian faith is simply not very exciting in England. There's some good scholarship that comes from it, but we have these crazy fundamentalists. We have all kinds of uh, Christian positions in this country and and still a large majority, uh, a less than majority but large group of people attend church regularly. Many of those just couldn't quite deal with atheists and agnostics in AA. I mean, you know that from the whole business with the listing.
1: Yes. And, um, you know, luckily I'm, uh, happy to report it's really page eight news now Right uh, in Toronto. If you go to the meeting guide of online groups and there's some face to face groups are turning, uh, you can filter your own meetings. If you want a big book meeting, you can find all the big book meetings. And if you want a secular meeting, you can find all of the secular meetings or, a uh, beginners meeting or a speaker meeting or all the open ones or all the closed ones so it's become normalized the way right. it should have been right at, at which i guess all great truths go through those three phases of ridicule violent opposition and then and then that's the norm yeah exactly and that's great yeah now um you know in in my opinion i think the problem is People treat the Zoom era as a temporary bandage. And I think maybe it's a new way of doing things. It's an AA all over again. I think there will be face-to-face meetings again for sure. But I think there's a whole generation who got sober on Zoom and can't imagine putting their you know, shoveling out the car to drive to an AA meeting. (laughs) Well,
0: AA meetings work better on Zoom than any other kind of meeting I'm a part of. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And part of that is no crosstalk. Yeah. Uh, And so one person speaks and everybody listens. uh, And they really do listen. It it just works better. I'm sure there will be face-to-face meetings. But I'm I agree with you that there will be. Zoom will be a part, and it, it has
1: certainly allowed secular AA to expand and connect all around the world. Not only secular AA, but all what I call underrepresented populations. There's a a, a growing BIPOC uh, movement, the Black, Indigenous, people of color. And even if they live in a very white, Anglo-Saxon subdivision... You right. know they can, they can find connect. like-minded people with shared cultural experiences to right. talk about addiction and, and, and that's recovery. With. Invaluable.
0: It's yeah. just invaluable. It's, uh, yeah. And I'm I'm rejoicing that uh, there are things that you don't get on online.
2: <clears throat> Hugs. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> ice cream after the meeting. <laughs> and so on. I, I've always, I've, I've been thinking. A couple of meetings I went to, I said, you know what we need to do is everybody needs to bring an ice cream, so that when the meeting's over, we can sit and eat ice cream and talk. But that it still wouldn't be quite the same, I don't think.
1: <laughs> uh, probably not. But I, I think uh, I, I saw people do this with the internet when people, oh, we can have web pages. Web pages, the, the early ones were pamphlets on a screen. Right. Like they couldn't think in terms of multimedia and interactivity and the things you can do with the Internet. They were trying to replicate the print version of um, promotion or, you know, uh, communication. And uh, in AA, I think we're still trying to find the best way to replicate in-person meetings on Zoom instead of saying, what's the best way to run a Zoom meeting? And utilize breakout rooms and right. you know right. some of the other features that are available uh, that we don't have in uh, face-to-face meetings. Right. And right. it's become boundaryless too. Well, uh, we have thing, new yeah. meetings that started on Zoom and they have no geographic location. What district are they going to be assigned? Yeah, to? yeah, area? that's
0: causing some anxiety at the
1: General Service Office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's uh, it's like, uh, it, it feels like the early days of AA again, in a way, and that we're right. finding our way.
0: Well, one of the things that we
1: have talked about and that
0: was talked about a lot when one of the other sort of non-controversial things that was disastrous, <clears throat> far more disastrous than the controversial was putting the big book on Kindle. Everybody was so concerned about the that Kindle Puts down at the bottom other books you might want to read. Or right. Amazon does that. That felt like endorsing, and they didn't want the big book on that, so we had to do our own app for the big book. Yeah, but so getting the general service office to write an app was is not a good plan, uh, and it was a disaster. And the next year they voted to go with to go with Kindle.
1: Yeah, to to it, not it, fight city hall to right. You know, uh, like I, we didn't have the ability to do that. We already had uh, the big book in bookstores and libraries, and I do believe there are other selections there as there well. Are,
0: and they usually put them on a shelf that says "People who read anything on this shelf that they would like." Yeah, we've been talking about how do we relate to the to this new world of of uh, social media and trying to develop it. That was one of the first attempts, mm-hmm. and COVID has forced us to move. Yeah, and and. It's happening faster than we can control. But since AA is supposed to be unorganized, I think that's just fine. Uh,
1: I think it's fine. I'm I'm proud of AA the way that everywhere, nobody waited for direction. No one asked what the rules were. Groups started Zoom meetings. There was a dozen in a day, a thousand in a week, and 10,000 in a month, right? Right, right. And uh, I, I'm proud of AA. Like you, you've heard me be critical of AA to be slow to respond to modern realities. Right. We but are not. It's they not proved a- me wrong this time. But but when, when the
0: pandemic hit, yeah, then we had to do something.
1: Nothing ever goes too bad when the primary concern is how do we carry the message to the still suffering? Right. When right. that was the motivation. That's- everyone seems to work together. Yep. Yep. So I want to talk to you about your book, uh, to, uh, end the suspense. I, I loved it. And I think it was, uh, uh, you know, like you've always been in AA, it was a courageous move where you're going to get some flack and take some criticism, but you're asking about, you know, how should things look in the future? Not, not only how should we preserve the integrity of the, the past, right? Uh, can you talk a little bit about what had to come together for you to write this book? I know a lot of people uh, were urging you to do this. Right. So so folks had asked me to write.
0: I wrote a couple of articles for the grapevine, mostly on the keeping religion out of AA. Yeah. One was on keeping religion out of AA. The other one was really on honoring the voices of those who do not believe in God. Um, And and of course, going around forums and other places that I did talks, retreats, special conferences, people said, you need to write this stuff down. Well, that felt strange. I'm not an expert. Uh, I have an experience and I finally realized that's what we do in AA. We share our experience. So that began to free it up a little bit. Uh, it was after a con- uh, men's retreat in Oklahoma where several asked me to write things down that I decided to do so. Uh, and then it's, what's fascinating is things sort of fell in place. I began pulling stuff together and said, what am I going to do with this? And finally, I said, well, I'm just going to share my experience, strength and hope because that's how we do it. And it provided a, a way to, to pull things together. About that time, uh, Deborah A., who is a,
2: mm-hmm.
0: a, many years of sobriety and a research, medical research, phys, uh, Ph.D. at Duke, said, I would like to be your critical commentator. Wonderful. And it just was out of the blue. And I said, are you sure that's crazy? <laughs> she said, no, I would like to do that. And and so she became the one who checked that I was true to AA.
1: Yeah.
0: Also checked some of the grammar. Yeah. Also checked said this story doesn't work here. And by the way, board, don't be so hard on the church.
2: <laughs> oh, nice.
0: I mean, I would do a chapter and send it to her. She'd send it back. I'd send it back. I mean, she was my editor in a significant way. Uh, there were others. My son, who has rarely sent me a book, sent me a couple of books. Um, I pulled them out so I would remember the names. McAdams, book about personality and story. Books that have nothing particularly to do with A.A. Dan McAdams, The Science of Personality Development. Yeah. Some of the research on storytelling for that was... Oh, wonderful. Was ...where some of the stuff from my, in the book comes from. The other is John Haight, The Happiness Hypothesis.
1: Oh, he, he had a brilliant uh, book also called... Uh, the righteous mind how uh, right. good people are separated by religion and politics yeah good book i mean he's
0: he, and his his humility about what we know is really wonderful yeah uh, those my son just sent those to me he's never sent me a book before and here they were and here they were key books in terms of something i wanted to say yeah and uh, so then it finally came together and then it was try to find a publisher right went through two or three proposals, but finally Wiffenstock picked it up. They had already republished one book of mine, and maybe they're hoping to, if this one sells well, that
1: the other one will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're going double or nothing, eh?
0: <laughs> right. I think so. I'm not sure why they picked it up. Well, I, do, I am. You know, you would have to read between the lines with what you work with an editor. Yeah. And one of the people that I had to work with did not like the book. Had... This doesn't make any sense. Kind of comments, right? Um, but the one who was in charge of marketing loves the book, wants it out there, has yeah. supported very much my getting copies and to give away and so on. And it's been so that there's a, I think there's a real division in the public, in the
1: pub with the publishers, but it's which is perfect, really. Yeah, like if it if if it doesn't alarm anybody or confront anybody you need to comfort the inflicted and right uh, like exactly. the comfortable <laughs> yeah some of the other people I talked to about your book really love the fact that you quote uh, Marcus Borg and Thomas merton right uh, I'll also ask you about Ernie Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum Good. Uh, yeah because I'm big fans of but can you talk about uh um Marcus Borg and Thomas Merton and their influence on you
0: uh marcus was a friend for some time uh i first met him through his wife i was doing a conference doing a a workshop in portland oregon and as we were finishing up she said i bet you would like the work of my husband (laughs) and i said and your name uh and so we we got to know each other i had him come to a variety of places where I would be to do leadership stuff, to do lectures and would and go down. He came to Chautauqua regularly mm-hmm. and we would connect down there. And when I was on the West coast, we would connect. And his death was a little devastating to me too early as far yeah. as I'm concerned. But particularly his last book, when he describes his experience as a mystic um, as a, thorough scholar and if you only heard his lectures you would assume this is somebody who spent his time in the library <laughs> i yeah. mean it's really superb scholarship and and you don't think he doesn't come across as somebody as, uh, well he certainly doesn't come across as a poop but it doesn't come across as somebody who's uh, uh overly religious right uh and so his work Far beyond the quotes in this book, but that's why uh, at the end of the book I recommended that uh, if
1: you wanted further reading, yeah, just get you know don't don't just have the sample, get the whole thing, yeah, yeah, get the the whole meal, get the and Ernie
0: Kurtz, one of the things that happened, and I think it's was I guess I was still chair of the board when I spoke to the first international conference on. Atheist, agnostics, and free thinkers.
1: Yeah, that was twenty fourteen.
0: Okay, part of preparing that talk after one of the retreats that I had, I I, I love the excuse me spirituality of imperfection, mm-hmm. and have for a long time. Uh, and it's uh, it was after one of the retreats that I was leading that they that I used they did readings during lunch yeah. and we used spirituality of imperfection. And one of the leaders knew Ernie well and said, you need to get in touch with him and mm-hmm. put us in touch. Yeah. And then as I was preparing my talk for the conference in Santa Monica, uh, we had a good bit of correspondence. He was very helpful, yeah. particularly about, he said, watch out for certain words. Oh, good. Uh, I mean, he was, he was really helpful because it, allowed me to say what i want i think he allowed me to say what i really wanted to say and not get hung up with language that would have turned some people off yeah um and again he died too soon
1: oh i know i was just getting to know him i i, I still had hero worship uh, he oh. uh, wrote the foreword for my book uh, beyond belief agnostic musings for 12-step life and uh, i still could only Call him Doctor Kurtz when he called on the phone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He always asked me to call him Ernie, but I I just and and Catherine ketchum his co-author.
2: Yeah,
0: I met at the conference. He -hmm. wasn't able to come because by that point already ill. Yeah, from from the cancer, and I met Catherine there, and we kind of entered into uh, conversations. And when I got ready to write, she was very helpful in suggesting places to write and supporting me and and has written at this point, I have only one review on Amazon and it's from Catherine.
2: Well, uh,
1: you know, she's someone I, uh, really, um, she's been on my radar for a long time because she's always in the background Right. Uh, her. I, I have a first edition of, um, um, under the influence Right. 1981. Right. Um, right. A Guide to the Myths and Realities of Alcoholism with James uh, and, uh, Milam and Milam. Um, and, you know, uh, again, uh, it was like Ernie Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum. But you can see right. that, you know, all of these books are significant books. And what do they all have in common? Right, <laughs> And it's it's her. And she finally sort of came out from behind uh, the camera, so to speak. And uh, wrote about her own son's addiction. The only life I could save.
0: Yeah. Wonderful book. Yeah. Wonderful book.
1: Yeah. And uh, I would definitely like to talk to her uh, just about her, you know, involvement in the recovery world for so long. Like, I bumped into her in the hall at the unitarian congregation i didn't know she was going to be there Uh, oh wow right like it was just a happy (laughs) surprise to see her there
0: and she has a wonderful website that that sends me a story every week nice
1: which is which is i love stories yeah it's it's really quite wonderful yeah but uh, she's someone we all owe a debt of gratitude to and Mm -hmm. uh she, she doesn't uh, bring a lot of attention upon herself. And uh, uh, Thomas Merton.
0: Well, Merton's uh, been someone I have looked to over the years. Uh, I actually used to do retreats at Gethsemane. And when I was in Louisville, I would go down to Gethsemane, which was his home. Uh, not that I ever met him, but yeah. that was his home for his order and his influence was wide there. I really got got in, interested in Merton during the civil rights movement. He was quite an activist and anti, the anti-war movement even more. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of his writings, I don't know that I have any of them in files or anything else, but were really important because he put it at a depth that most did not. Yeah. And that prayer, that i quote is, is well known. It's,
1: um, but it's, it's sort of where I live. Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's amazing how, uh, the tapestry, right. Of, uh, what influences us and, uh, and, and making a bibliography really I find is an experience of going, wow. Right. I have a lot of people to think that <laughs> right they're not always front of mind. Right. You know? Right. Right. If we can, I'd like to sort of do um, a deep dive on uh, some of the ideas in your book, if you're good with that, and just okay. ask you uh, some further thoughts and reflections on them. I, I'm very <laughs> impressed by how you can't even remember the name of your book. <laughs> that <laughs> that's, that's, shows a certain humility that you don't often find in an author. author but you take on the uh, difficult task of trying to define what spirituality means to you. You're certainly not but. trying to define it for everybody to get universal agreement, but you define dis- it as something we can't see or touch, but that does affect our lives. Things like love, but. resentment, hope, anger, acceptance, peace, uh, serenity. And you even talk about how if we're responding to an act of kindness and return that act of kindness, that's spiritual. But if we're harboring a resentment or we're reactive to somebody's criticism, uh, those negative knee-jerk reactions are also spiritual. Spirituality is often associated with otherworldliness, sometimes with uh, godliness, piety and purity. But it is much broader. It's uh, the way we uh, respond to events uh, that are spiritual in nature. Did you learn that before you got to AA? Is (laughs) AA get any credit for that sort of? uh,
0: Did I learn some of that from AA? Absolutely. I think. um, I, I think one of the critical things that I've learned from AA, in which I which I suspect some people in the church are going to be unhappy with, uh, is that spirituality is not connected to religion. Uh, Spirituality is out there for everybody. Everybody has a spirituality. If you're a human being, you have one of the places I say spirituality is like health. Uh, Some people have good health. Some people have bad health, but they all have health. (laughs) Some people have spiritualities that are filled with resentment, anger, and 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 hatred uh some people have spiritualities that are much more helpful but we all have spirituality i don't think i knew that as a priest in the church and so things like like merton and and Borg didn't really teach me that everyone has a spirituality and somehow i was a part of that whole popular idea that spirituality and religion were somehow intimately connected mm-hmm. uh, I'm not so sure they're connected very well at all. <laughs> um, I mean, there is a spirituality in AA, and I think it has a has a greater uniformity than uh, spirituality in the churches. Uh, but uh, the church does not determine the spirituality. It's 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 more complicated than that. Uh, I, it was actually the first time I said that spiritual things are, are those things which you cannot see but that affect you was in a sharing at the general service board, which right. was also an important piece for me, because I was sharing with someone who was agnostic who was agnostic, strong agnostic. Yeah. And the two of us were presenting the papers and and that was sort of my first venture into the issue. Um uh, and I'm glad to say I think I did a pretty good job
1: <laughs> well yeah yes I, I think your uh like your grapevine articles were definitely bridge builders in in this book you you refer to you know your relationship with atheists and agnostic friends uh and you mentioned that that some prefer not even to use the word spiritual because they see it as a backdoor way of bringing God into the conversation. Others are comfortable talking about spirituality without believing in God. So, I I mean, it it isn't like there's one atheist way of seeing things, one agnostic way of seeing things, and then a plethora of believers' uh, views of things, right? Right, right. And you also talk in very practical terms. You say that the, the way you understand spirituality now it's built on three internal processes the way we perceive the world about us how we feel about the world and the choices we make conscious and unconscious in responding to our perceptions and our sensations and you met, mentioned that they're intertwined and mutually reinforcing and evolving yeah always evolving Uh, yeah
0: that that was really worked out while i was working out on this working on the text for the book that i came to that maybe over oversimplified but it's helpful to me uh, understanding of spirituality
1: it opens the door for it to be a secular experience uh, as well as a supernatural experience right Right. Because you can you can see God in that if if that's your worldview and you don't even have to talk about God or speak in a God acronym if it doesn't <laughs> fit into your worldview. Right. And uh, I find that um, like, you know, some of these atheist agnostics that don't like using the word. It could be because of a, a an open wound, a toxic relationship they have with some sort of uh, very mean spirited religiosity. Right. That so, they're still skeptical whenever the word gets used, it causes them to, you know, tense their shoulders. Yep. Yeah. And I understand that. Yeah, you do. You, you do. totally do. And the word secular is just as misunderstood like for some it means not spiritual that which is right. not spiritual and for me i prefer the definition of neither religious nor irreligious right for some people yeah you, you that's another word that you say it and everybody nods but it doesn't mean they're they're <laughs> You're communicating with them, right? Right. <laughs> you also talk about um, very beautifully, I might add, about um, uh, well, one of the things just to touch on on the spiritual side of things. You talk about the spiritual life as our whole emotional life, our nonverbal communication, our Whole existential angst, all of that is part of our spirituality. And this is very different than the early talkings about the dichotomy of my will and my higher powers will or God's will or how somehow if I have um, ambition or desires or a, an idea that that is somehow in conflict with my spiritual life. And you you don't accept that at all, do you? No, oh no, not at all, not at all. Uh, Another thing where you really get into, um, you know, what I call uh, the good stuff, is um, uh, you you talk about rigidity. Aha! Uh-huh. And. It, <laughs> Yeah, there is a chapter called uh, to my friends in AA and you talk about uh, you talk about how there is you really explain why people get rigid or dogmatic about their way being the right way. Because you talk about what happens is a dramatic uh, uh, change and it's so dramatic in a person's life that it's easy for them to fall into thinking, well, this must be the right way because everything else I tried failed. So save time and see it my way. And uh, I wouldn't suggest for a minute that um, people who are humanists or free thinkers are any freer from this trap than people who uh, have found God in this process. Right. Right. We, we,
0: we can, everybody can manage rigidity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any,
0: any group. Um, I, I think the thing that I like the most in, in terms of this sort of topic about rigidity is is the piece on how, how do we know the truth? Uh, and we got to start with the fact that we don't know the truth. Right. As, human be- as individual human beings, we simply cannot discern truth we have too many preconceptions. That whole interaction of the forces of spirituality determine what we're going to see, how we're going to feel about it, what we're going to, how we're going to respond. And, and we just can't do it. And I, I, I do like the Voltaire quote, which I'm going to misquote a little bit, but
1: doubt is uncomfortable, but certainty is absurd. Something like that. It's <laughs> beautiful. Jonathan uh, Haidt uh, is quick to say, we don't have a truth-seeking brain. No, we, we have don't have a confirmation bias seeking brain. Right. Brain. And we have and we have a well, and I love the piece about
0: John, about Jeremy Lin, who would ever think that a Harvard Asian American would be a great basketball player. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. so serious. None of us would would say that's the criteria of what we're looking for for a basketball player.
1: Yeah, that exactly right. But like he turned out to be a, a game changer. Superstar. Yeah. yeah absolutely
0: absolutely but it's and it, it was luck It was only because the, the starter got injured uh he never would have played
1: now yeah anyway, exactly that
0: that we can't know truth yeah uh, yeah our brain is is set up for protection the amygdala takes over uh the whole brain functions makes quick decisions to because it's a life and death fight fight Flight, fight, or freeze responses, and and that forms our whole way of seeing things. What I've really learned in AA, I mean, partly because people are dealing with denial. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. if you talk about a group that didn't haven't seen the truth, it's the active drinker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and what's so remarkable in AA is how, and what was most important for me in in my interactions with AA is this seeking of honesty right the the whole culture uh that that we're going to have rigorous honesty and congregations do not want their clergy to be honest i can assure you say to you they want us to be good yeah and that's really different and certain and certain they want us to be certain as well yeah which is an absurdity uh but um so that Probably the thing that both attracted me and supported me and helped me more than anything else in my interactions with AA has been rigorous honesty. But it comes so that how do we learn the truth? We can't learn it ourselves. We, if we are part of a community that practices rigorous honesty, that helps. If that community is fairly diverse and inclusive, that helps. Mm-hmm. And if we take the time to listen and share and listen and share and listen and share. And believe me, as, a, as the presiding officer for the general service conference, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> uh, I have to do a, there is a lot of talking going on. Um, we will come towards some kind of truth. And even then, it's not going to be absolute, but it is, a, it is more truth than we had when we started. That's really a learning that I have gained from this fellowship.
1: Well, you, you must draw on more than just your AA experience as a place where you, uh, it's, I wouldn't call it a stark warning, but you talk about organization and the reification, you say, uh, as the movement becomes organized, it continues to grow, but the growth becomes less exponential and more linear. At this stage, the movement will become, will become less effective regarding its mission. And they tend to become more concerned about uh, self-preservation, finance, property, growing control by the leaders, and developing rules, both written and unwritten, to bring conformity among the members. Uh, Institutionalization will survive for centuries, but it's less effective in carrying its mission and membership growth will level off or decrease. You also say that there can be no uniformity in AA because we're so diverse, right?
0: Right. That may be a little idealistic.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, That's you do. Crucial. I I really was taken aback by the fact that you uh, you you put it on the table. Look, my view of AA is a little bit idealistic. Yeah, and um, it is. It, I, I I speak of what I call the. Uh, liberal mythology of aa about how you know we're not top down you know we're not exclusive we're always inclusive but uh in main street aa doesn't always seem to uh that's not everybody's experience of aa right
0: right no it's not yeah. actually that whole model of moving from a, a, a an event to a to a movement to a organization to an institution yeah um uh, comes out of some, I, I do consulting with congregations and it, and it was f- from reading and, and some work there that I got that model. And then I said, they're talking about because the church has become an institution mm-hmm. and its membership is leveled off. Now it's declining and its focus on its mission is dis- almost disappeared in many congregations. Um, and so this whole model was to say, you need to get back to being focused be a movement focused on mission. Right. But but I brought it to to, to the to the AA table and said this fits. Mm-hmm. And and I'm so I'm in strongly in the camp that says we we aren't not only do do we have a tradition of not being organized, we must affirm that tradition. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and support it and be 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 really clear. Um George Dorsey, whom you may know. Yes. Um, what he a said, character yeah he, he, he said in response to that he said it's not even a movement it's an idea he, he doesn't even want as much organization as a
1: movement would have but yeah yeah he, he feels that that's already on the downhill trajectory right once yeah. you get to movement very concerned about <laughs> becoming organized well, i share that concern yeah um I just wanna quote something else you said here because I think you're onto something. It's critically important that the vitality of the movement is maintained. The way we maintain the focus, I believe, is through the power of story. At the beginning of my involvement with AA at a national level, I was constantly surprised about how often people quoted Bill W it felt as if Bill was a Moses for drunks and the big book was sacred (laughs) scripture. Those initial feelings miss, I think, a more significant point. Citing Bill is less about Bill and more about our common story of all of us members and how we relate to each other. AA was founded on the sharing of personal stories. And and so you give some good uh, sage advice there that, we need to stick to that let me ask you something because I have a a theory about this and like I my AA that I grew up on wasn't book-based AA at all it was storytelling AA it was speaker meetings a few discussion groups uh we didn't sit down and read the book and then start at the beginning and read again right and um I believe that um we're the followers generation. We're not the pioneers of AA. Right. And followers either consciously or subconsciously crave authority. Like what would AA say about this in a business meeting, right? Like they need the authority of AA to tell them what to do or who's in charge. And when we quote build W, maybe we're borrowing authority because we've established this idea Yep,
0: yeah. i I wouldn't disagree with that but i think it's richer than that I, I think it's i think it is the common story that we're trying to find yes um but uh i get a concerned when i feel like the book's being quoted as the authority that's going to direct everything
2: yeah
0: uh, times change uh, people change what relates to one person may not relate to another so on and on and on and it's and it is the the freedom and the diversity that give AA its real strength. So I, I do get concerned when we make the book holy writ. Right. Uh, I mean, I get concerned that the church has made the Bible holy writ, but that's a yes. whole nother, that's a whole other topic.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I used to rail against it uh, because it was. Not because it was dogmatic, but because it became mean spirited. Uh, people yeah. would, uh, you know, sort of quote the big book as, uh, you know, a backward criticism. Right, of people and see, uh, see, part of my idealism comes from the fact
0: that I've never been, to, not being a member of AA, I've never been to a business meeting.
1: Yeah, you've never been to a, <laughs> a closed meeting, and you've never been to a never business been to a closed meeting. Yeah, and and that. So yeah, people have to understand your rose-colored glasses are yeah, the right. only look you got, right? Right. <laughs> but I, I think it is a, a profound thing. I, I now think more in terms of yes and. There should be as many big book study meetings as people want to have. Fantastic. If you want to, if if your worldview is this is how the original 100 members did AA, and I don't believe that to be true. But right. if, if you do, and you take comfort, and this is a proven effective way where 50% of people will never drink again, 25% will drink and then return to AA. So it works 75% of the time. Great. But don't disparage the other group that reads Living Sober or Grapevine to kick off their meeting right. or asks for topics from the floor. Right. Or has a speaker tell a story, their story, and some of these people have never read the Big Book, but they have an AA story to tell in terms of how they navigated the steps, how they navigated sobriety, how they do actually do not depend the, on a sponsor. Big book, in my experience, the Big Book rarely comes up in someone's story. Yeah,
0: which is probably not insignificant.
1: Yeah, I I, th- I, I think that's a great observation. Uh, There was a time where I felt uh, I wondered if I still belonged in AA because the AA I grew up on was more about, um, you know, people talking in their own language, their own personal story. And uh, that included the steps, sometimes not in a linear way. (laughs) But you would hear about inventory. You would hear about making amends. You would hear about... uh, meditative often often here about making amends yeah and and helping others right you would see people were walking examples of service right being in the service of others and the meaning that they got from that and and how empowering that was and um then i came to toronto which wasn't doing aa wrong but it was more of a book-based society I hadn't even read the book Alcoholics Anonymous till I was sober eleven years, and I saw it as historically significant, but not the AA way. And right. I'm sitting in meetings, and I go, "That's not my experience of AA. That's not what I think we're doing here." That's, and I, I quietly started to plan my, you know, uh, graceful escape. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you didn't make I, it. I'm glad I didn't, too. All it took was being a, a, an underdog again, and uh, I got had a renewed enthusiasm for AA. <laughs> One of the good things about Bill W. is he
0: talked and wrote so much. Yeah. It, you can almost find whatever position you want somewhere mm-hmm. in his writing.
1: That That and, is it. And, and that quoting of... Uh, uh bill wilson uh the atheists were doing it to say why they belong in aa and the uh more rigid minded people were quoting bill wilson to say why they didn't belong in aa right there 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 is something for everybody there yep yep and uh sort of in a yes and kind of thing um i I think this book if. Uh, properly uh, sort of promoted and and communicated uh, will start a conversation. And I think it will alter uh, our course. I I think it has that capacity to, it it certainly opened my mind to fresh new ideas, and I would hope it would do that to anybody. That's the greatest compliment you've given me. I mean, that's,
0: yeah. there is a sense in which there's somewhere, I think it's actually in the in, before in the preface, in writings about spirituality, 12 steps are not a part of the conversation or in writing about values in our culture. And so I don't remember the, exactly what I said, but that I write this in the hopes that it will introduce the steps to a wider audience, not just AA, mm-hmm. because I think what we can all learn from this is, is critically important. I mean, actually, I, I I think one of the things I'm going to do is try to get in touch with Jonathan Haidt, Haidt. Yeah. Because his book is fabulous, but he leaves out the importance of community. Yeah. He really doesn't have that.
1: Uh, there's, uh, now that we're uh, trading books, uh, there's another one uh, I'll put on your uh, Christmas list. Um. Let me just find this. Here it is. It's by a, a fellow who studies us. He's an academic in the UK. It's called Pathways to Recovery and Desistance, The Role of the Social Contagion of Hope by oh, uh, love uh, David that. Best. David Best, B-E-S-T. And he borrows from uh, the sort of, uh, mental health care model, the idea, like he looks at people in AA and people who have recovered uh, in all different ways. And he finds five things. And you've spoken to this chime. It's called connection, hope, identity, meaning empowerment. Yeah. And I'll be to love this book. Yeah. You're going (laughs) to love this book. And, and nobody gets sober by themselves. They might not join a fellowship. They may be too introverted. They may be, have great resources already in terms of a community, like a, like a helpful home, a helpful, could be a church. It could be a work environment with a good employee assistance plan. They, 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 they're, they're depending on connection to find their sobriety. And it's, it le- it leads to all of those things my hope came not from an internal source but other people believed in me when i did not right other people thought i could when i thought i could not and i and that was contagious that hope was contagious and and i was able to stay sober long enough to develop an identity of uh, an alcoholic without being ashamed and right. living in sobriety without it being a punishment Right, right, right. <laughs> and the meaning and empowerment came from AA service work, right? Right, right. service That's where service is really critical. And I, I do think that's just part of it. Do you have any one more thing, something that after it went to press, you thought, oh, I wish I'd thought of this and said it?
0: No, actually, after it went to press, I said, thank God that's done. <laughs> Uh, I'm not thinking about this for a while. I'm, I'm quite certain there are things that will, as I kind of live with it now,
1: that that will happen. But Yeah. Um. Uh. Definitely. I know you're, uh, at least I'm not aware of a, a great uh, Ward B. Ewing presence on Facebook or TikTok or <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Instagram or Twitter or any of that um what's the best way for people w- want to get a hold of you if you in- invite that to reach out to you
0: well i actually i do have a facebook page because the publisher told me i needed to okay I'm, I'm very poor with it it's uh and i've been trying to set up a, a page and i'm just going to have to get some help it's called religion, the spirituality, or something like that.
1: Wonderful. Like, uh, just have a whole website but, sort of devoted yeah. to ongoing discussions about it. And, and to invite conversations. Um, I
0: hope to get something like that. And I, and I guess it may be a, a website rather than a Facebook page, because I haven't been able to make the Facebook page work at all. I was an early adapter. In 1980s, I had a Commodore.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that's about 64, as, 64.
0: You bet. And uh, that's about as far as i wanted to go, ever have ever wanted to go.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So
0: early adapter, but but then a bit of a Luddite. But I do need to do something. Um, actually, my publisher, the one that likes the book says. And so he gave me books to give away. Yeah. Uh, 70 of them, mm-hmm. uh, which when I talked with the order, people said, oh, that's big. Yeah. Uh, uh said that this book is going to spread by word of mouth yeah and that that's really going to be the way it's going to get done there there are things um uh, i talked with with uh bill 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 bill
1: bill shaber.
0: shaber yeah and he's got lots of things for me to do
1: yes um, we were talking about you behind your back and, oh okay. uh uh so I think a lot of people are scheming. Um I've I a friend in AA from New Jersey who is a, a atheist Christian. She's a member of uh uh Episcopal
0: church no doubt. Yeah,
1: Episcopalian, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh she's thinking he should speak at our congregation, right? So I said I bet if he could he would. So Yeah. Sure. It happen. Be glad to. Yeah, I think it 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 I think your book will have like the normal tale for a book is a big release, some hype, growth, and then uh, uh it then just pitters it, into you know uh, uh obscurity. Uh Ernie Kurtz said to me, one of the things he was most proud of about uh spirituality of imperfection was that there were a lot of books on this topic that were printed in 19, whenever it was, 86. Yeah, it 87, over. yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it was hard to get it published because well, we've already got one like this, this would just be a competitor of it. And he said, his is the only one that was still in print. This was back yeah. in 2015 yeah. when he was still alive, right? Yeah, yeah. And
0: Well, actually, one of the good things about Wittenstock is they don't ever go out of print. It's all kept as electronic files and yep. printed on demand.
1: So yeah, I, I think that's great. Out. It also means, uh, like for instance, uh, in my own experience, I put the book out. Uh, Ernie wrote a review, and I said, "Could I use that as a forward?" And he said, "Yeah, as long as you don't change a word or add a word." <laughs> so I I just put uploaded a new file right, yeah. and then all of a sudden. You know, it had uh, Ernie's introduction to it. It was great fun. Wow. Yeah. That, and that is a great thing about publishing on demand. Here's something I learned in the music business uh, is there used to be hundreds of people who made millions of dollars in music. And now there are millions of people that make hundreds of dollars in music. It's easier to get it out there but it's right. just harder to they don't have a limited number of gatekeepers that are right. the tastemakers right. for everybody. Right. And that may be with this, and that's fine. Yeah, exactly. But uh yeah, I think it I think it will catch on and I think it will have an upward uh uh sort of penetration of the market to use we'll, we'll publisher's see. terms.
0: Uh, oh, I guess if there's anything else I would want to say, is <laughs> that I'm not making anything on this book. Uh, all of the net profit will be given away because I I just everything in this book has been a gift to me from from people and organizations and and how can you take gifts and turn them around and try to make money
1: on it. It feels abusive to me. So And you even mentioned you would give some of it to AA but they won't take it they your won't money. take it because I'm not a member.
0: And that I believe in the seventh tradition. Yeah but uh, they won't take a penny from me. I yeah. cheat okay. I go to this little group and they will take my dollar each week. But uh, that's the only group that'll take any of my money.
1: Well, uh, I won't tell anybody and to the dozens of members who are listening, that's just our secret, okay? Uh, uh, <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for uh, taking some time with us. Uh, this isn't the end of our conversation. I, I'm sure... Um, we keep bumping into each other. I, I remember you used to coin the phrase um, experience Trump's explanation. Yes. But of course the uh, verb Trump isn't in vogue anymore. Well, no, we don't use that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, can't do that anymore. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh required a new polishing uh, for right. for, uh, for a very otherwise. But it's still a true statement.
0: It's still a true statement.
1: Yeah, it is. it is. It is. It is indeed. Okay. Well, thanks a million, and uh, until next time, Ward. Okay. Thanks well, for spending some time with to. us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ward Ewing, for talking with us. And again, thanks for your service. For show notes to episode 65 including a link to uh 12 steps to religiousless spirituality, the power of spirituality with or without God, visit rebelliondogspublishing.com. Click on Rebellion Dogs Radio. Again, you're looking for episode 65. There are also 2021 talks given by Ward Ewing at TASNUA Freethinkers AA in Ireland and Freethinkers Living Sober Group in Verde Valley, Arizona. We link to both of those talks if you'd like to hear more. As one year comes to an end and another begins, here we are, another year along our recovery journey. It's going to be year three of the third decade of the new millennium, while well, many see the online community of recovery peer to peer, from She Recovers to Life Ring to Buddhist based recovery or 12 step based recovery approaches, some see this as a temporary measure until we get our in person meetings back. Well, that's only partly true for some of the members. For many in recovery, they've never been to a face to face meeting. And the idea of restricting recovery to it being in a certain place at a certain time to connect with other peers, well, that's so last decade. In 2021, and I expect 2022, podcasts, Zoom meetings, webinars, TED Talks, WhatsApp, Facebook groups, these will all be customary, if not primary. Certainly, they won't be temporary means of facilitation joining one peer with another, be it someone with alcohol use disorder or alcoholic, however you want to identify yourself, or with some other uh, drug or process use concern. Of course, face-to-face recovery isn't out of date at all. It's not really so last decade, but uh, I'm looking at yes and, not this or that when it comes to an approach to finding and sharing recovery. It intrigues me how far we've come with virtual recovery uh, so far. Um, We put on an international conference, a Secular AA, when members were in their first weeks and months of the Zoomiverse life. We were learning. This year, we're going to do it again. And the volunteers, the speakers, the regulars, all the participants are at home on Zoom. Thanks for being part of Rebellion Dogs community. And I mean that if you're brand new, this is your first uh, podcast with us, or if you've been around for the last 10 years. If you have been here a while, you know I've been broadcasting and podcasting about independent emerging music far longer than I've been doing this addiction, recovery, and mental health show We finish each show with what I coined from Indie Can Radio as uh, the best music you've never heard. So for episode 65, we're going out with a band called Hotel Mira. You'll uh, find links to uh, their music on Rebellion Dogs Publishing. The song is called The Eyes on You. Here's uh, one of the lyrics You never knew, and the world is cruel. Put your heart away, leave it somewhere safe, away from hate, and lighten up. Anyway, I'm not going to sing it. Let's uh, close the show out with Hotel Mira. Thanks for being part of Rebellion Dogs Radio.